0: My favorite thing about Bill Mitchell and When Dating Hurts podcast is the opportunity to share my voice and my story. I think that no matter where you are in listening about someone else's situation or sharing your own, that being within a community of listeners where it's safe to share a voice is invaluable. Thank you, Bill.
1: Dating Hurts podcast continues to grow in popularity. The more who listen, the more who will know the realities of dating and domestic violence. In the meantime, the When Dating Hurts book in paperback, ebook, and audiobook is being purchased and read by concerned parents, teachers, victims and survivors, and of course, those who are currently dating. Education leads to empowerment. That way, If a potential abuser is targeting you or someone you care about, you will know how to detect it and how to break free and stay safe. Up next, another survivor story to illustrate how an innocent person can become manipulated and trapped in abusive relationships. Welcome back to the When Dating Hurts podcast, financial abuse is the subject we'll cover today. Serena, a fairly new listener of ours, asked to speak about the financial bottomless pit her ex-husband put her in. This man, by the way, a minister, turned out to be a practiced wheeler dealer. And the one person he took advantage of the most was his own wife. This is financial abuse to the maximum. Here's Serena's story of her financial demolition. Today, we're going to be speaking with Serena, and she's going to take us through this nightmare slalom of things that happened to her under the heading, in all caps, financial abuse. Welcome to the When Dating Hurts podcast, Serena.
0: Thank you, Bill. I'm really happy to be here to share the story with you.
1: I'm happy you're here, too. And What you went through from a financial aspect, I don't think you missed any, anything. <laughs> I think you pretty much got the full course, didn't you?
0: Honestly, in the email that I sent you, it was what came to me at the top of my mind. Since a friend recommended that I reach out to you regarding this story. Yes. I just, I didn't want to really sit in it unless I needed to. And so I typed those things off the top of my mind. And then when I made a a list later, as always, I I just realized how, how big it was and how in the end I discovered through a lot of investigation that uh, it was actually happening to some other people and some other institutions as well. So thank you.
1: You know, what are the circumstances under which you met this guy? His name is Dick.
0: Yes. We met in August of 2011 and were married about eight months later in April of 2012. At the time he was a minister, remained a minister for most, most of our marriage. There were some red flags or pink flags or beige flags. I don't know what we call them now. There were some, some flags on and off around distrust and uncertainty, and I used to call them half-truths. Um, and I often also used to say, I feel like I'm the last to know, I'm the last to know these things.
1: Were you spotting these things while dating? Is that what you're saying?
0: Not really. Okay. I had little worries, but my my family of origin, I grew up very conservative, religious. My father's a retired minister. In my way of thinking at the time, it was significant for me to trust someone else. It was significant for the woman to let the man be the head of the household. It was significant for me to let someone else manage my finances. I was a, I don't know that I was emotionally vulnerable at the time, but he came with a package that was presented to me of someone who was going to take care of me. This godly man who would, you know, let me help you, baby. Let me help you with that. Let me be here for you now there's someone here to help you now with these things, partially because I needed that. And partially because I was raised to believe that that's what the woman does in a marriage. I handed finances over. I completely handed it over. Um, Mm -hmm. He convinced me even while we were dating that, gosh, I could sure help you if I did some of these things. You know, that was, that was the beginning of the end. Um, Because when I found out all of the things that I'm going to explain to you through running credit reports and through working with a federal investigator, all of the processes whereby he began to, I'll call it, abuse me financially through manipulation and lies. Started even at right the minute we were married. Started with using my social security number and my name to take out credit card after credit card in my name only. Transfer balances, rack it up again, transfer balances,
1: so he was doing this right from the beginning. How long might it be before you catch on? You don't know he's doing this, right?
0: I had no idea any of this was happening.
1: You're just in the other room making supper, right? Playing the role or whatever you're doing.
0: And working my ass off, honestly. You know, I had a, okay. <laughs> I had a couple of jobs. I was working, I was teaching full-time at the university. I was a full-time doctoral student.
1: What were you teaching?
0: Um, I teach in the College of Education, primarily teaching teacher preparation. So teaching people who are going to be teachers um, and teaching in the graduate college.
1: Yeah. So you're, you're busy.
0: I didn't know any of these things were happening until I discovered all of it, all at once in October of 2020.
1: Eight years of this stuff is going on. This guy's working under the rug, doing all kinds of stuff. I don't mean this as a statement about you, but I mean, he was so, let's say in quotes, good at it that you didn't catch on at all. I mean, you're just going along, doing your thing.
0: Yes. Uh. Yes. It was, it was highly manipulative. It was, it's been referred to as, I mean, I used to think that he was a narcissist after just doing some study and being in therapy, but after additional study and additional therapy, it really, I, I mean, I don't know if he's had a diagnosis, but it's very lined up with um, sociopathic personality disorder. A narcissist cares a little bit about what they're doing. They just care about themselves more. <laughs> um, but so the difference between a narcissist and somebody who has sociopathic behaviors is that they, they have no empathy or feelings for someone else. Um, they just are completely unable, unable to see it
1: if that's the case and i believe you uh, just saying that's the premise if that's the case then even in the time that you were dating him how did he treat you or was it a, just a big act I mean, was he really nice to you is just kind of like pulling you in you think is a big fake
0: yeah if you if you look around the the dsm characteristics and behaviors of a of a narcissist what what begins is what we call love bombing and and, yes. and grooming, grooming practices are are more in line with sociopathic tendencies. A lot of grooming behaviors that to me felt unsettling. I was unsettled mm-hmm. by them. Uh, they didn't make me feel comfortable, but it seemed as if I was uncomfortable because I hadn't experienced that kind of intention or care before. And that created, as it's intended to, <laughs> a cycle right of love bombing and then catching a little lie and then, Oh, I'm so sorry. And then, you know, mm-hmm. the process starting, starting again. So I just didn't see it at all. And just believed my own discomfort was because I hadn't ever had anybody paying that much attention to me before.
1: Well, that's perfectly understandable. Sure. To me, love bombing is kind of like everything you always wanted in a relationship is just coming at you very quickly you know it's usually yes it's usually speeded up so you might hear i love you in the first week or two rather than let's wait a while and let it seep out a little bit a little more believably but it's like bang here's this and here's a bouquet and wow we're going to go to a great restaurant look at my car and it's like Mm -hmm. whoa 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 this is this is everything i ever wanted but it's force-fed yes yeah
0: yeah like drinking through a fire hose
1: I was thinking of that and didn't say it. I really was. Yes. And there you were. That's exactly it. Yeah. Yeah. Before you know it, here comes a ring.
0: Yeah. Quickly, too quickly. Yeah. Yeah. But when when things seem relational and too perfect, they almost always are Mm -hmm. (laughs) too perfect to be true.
1: You know, how do you teach something like that? I don't know. I could get up tomorrow and give a speech about that, and people would go, Well, how am I supposed to know? You know, if everything's just mm-hmm. going great, it's going great. You know, it's like, right. if it goes great, it's great. If it goes greater, it's not good.
0: <laughs> well, I I actually have some advice about that now. You ask, well, what are we supposed to do? I I actually know some things to do now. I mean, after you come out of trauma and, and heal and then heal again and then learn. And I, you know, I will be happy to share some of those things now that, yes. you know, through processing and... And being in really strong communities, Um, I I do know now exactly (laughs) what we should do when those situations happen.
1: You definitely learned the hard way. Yes. Yeah,
0: for sure. The house that you see, I finally own on my own now.
1: Was this the house where all this took place?
0: Yeah. And one of the things, I'm not sure if it was in the, the list that I sent you originally. He was trying to cash out the equity in the home without me knowing. When I discovered... Everything that had been happening and and the depth of everything happening, my biggest concern was that I was going to lose my house, partially because it was purchased on two people's supposed incomes. Um, One of the things Dick was lying about was his income and his job and and his salary. So my my scariest moments were that I was going to lose my home and that because there were all these credit card bills and debt, hundreds of thousands of dollars that I knew nothing about, I couldn't then reestablish credit enough to... Refinance my home, but I couldn't get rid of the the credit in order to refinance. Unless you know, it was all just kind of a, a jumbled cycle. So, thankfully, I have amazing, beautiful community of friends, and I had an angel help sort things out for a short time, so that I could get back up on my feet and give the lawyers some time, give the mm-hmm. forensic accountant some time to do his research, give the federal investigators and the police um, some time so that he was accountable for some of of that debt so that I could get in a position where I could afford to refinance my home. So the walls, the walls that are right there are, are important walls. They stand for just more than my home office. They stand for a community of people that came alongside me.
1: Nice to land on your feet after that. But do you want to walk us through your list that you put together? This is kind of self-directed by you, but I'm, I, I didn't want to overlook the fact that mm-hmm. you were got pelted from all sides with this stuff.
0: I'd like to start with how I found out. Yes. Because in my head, I don't have a chronology of it other oh. than the chronology of discovery. So in October of 2020, Dick had changed jobs, had left the church and was studying to be an insurance agent. Um, the church that he started was was failing not doing well financially, not growing, and he decided to move into a a different profession. So moving out of the church and and starting this new, new job, he came home early one day while I was working in the office, and I was surprised to see him because I thought he had some evening responsibilities he had told me about. And, and he said, no, I actually really need, you know, to talk to you about some things, but hey, let's go get coffee. We'll, we'll talk later. And I'm like, no, you don't, <laughs> you don't bring it up and leave me sitting in that, that spot, you know, sure. what's going on. So we're at the a dining room table and he shares that he's used our credit card to pay for some things for the church, pay some folks that he hadn't had money to pay Um, But that he has it all figured out and that we will just refinance the house and pay off that credit card and that I will actually really like that because it'll mean we'll have a little bit more cash flow because we can refinance the house. We have quite a bit of equity in the home. We can pay off this small little credit card and then our payments will actually go down. And that's what he has decided that we're going to do. And he has already talked to someone about maybe doing that at some mm-hmm. loan office and I was upset and in a little bit of shock. And so I took the dog and I went for a walk and I called one of my besties. And when I came back, I said, no, that's not the choice that I would like to make. That's not my debt. Mm. I didn't make those choices. I'm not agreeing to refinance the home. You need to find a way to pay that back. You can ask your parents for money. You can ask the church. You can, <laughs> it doesn't matter to me what you do, but I'm, you know, I, whatever, whoever you got going, pretty sure it's not God for him.
1: Probably not. You can do
0: whatever you want to choose to do, but no, thank you. That's not what I agree to do. He was quite upset that that wasn't the solution sure and over the next few days we were actually getting ready to go out of town on a trip together just the two of us and I said that's not a thing that's going to happen I'm, I'm gonna go to my my sister's and I, I drove to my sister's house and over the next few days things just unraveled. I saw a side of him I'd never seen before he he got angry he used profanity he'd hang up the phone. He was disagreeing with me about um, money. I moved, I moved some money, <laughs> so that I knew there was a little bit of a mm. safe space um, for some money in in savings. He said, "Well, I'm going to go stay at a friend's house too." I found out later he wasn't in a friend's house. He had gone to Las Vegas. God only knows what he did in Las Vegas. Yeah. But when I came home, a close friend said, "You have got to run a credit check. You have." got to run a credit check. When was the last time you checked your credit? You have got to see what's going on. I don't believe this is all he he's behaving erratically. He's hanging up on you. He's telling you to F off. Like none of these behaviors are in line. There's something else going on. So I ran a credit check with my stomach in my gut. And that's when I discovered almost the first round of what I discovered, which was Seven or eight different credit cards, all in my name only.
1: In your name only. How about that?
0: All in my name Uh, only. A couple hundred thousand. I'm not even sure, honestly, because my trauma sort of took that memory away from me. But um, at least $100,000, many, many different credit cards. Also, what I discovered when I ran that is that he had taken out a federal student loan with a $96,000 balance without my knowledge or consent. So while I was studying for my doctorate, for my PhD, he maxed out my FAFSA. (laughs) So I also had an almost $100,000 federal student loan. Uh, And when we started looking for where the money had gone, it was pretty clear that it had been laundered. I am very gifted with brilliant, beautiful friends, all of which are badass female scholars mostly. And they literally set up a war room in my house and came with their computers and spreadsheets and started looking for information. A lot of money coming and going. Um, We eventually discovered that a nonprofit that he had set up for church was also a place where it appeared, you know, money that was supposed to be coming in from people all over the world to go to women and children in Africa were instead being moved into accounts of his own, <laughs> some investments were cashed out. I couldn't get into my retirement accounts. when I called my university and called my retirement accounts, my name had been taken off of them. His name had been put on them. Thankfully, I was wise enough to know what he probably used as passwords. <laughs> and again, some very, very kind people risked their jobs to help me get into accounts that I had been locked out of. In the middle of all of it, he had cashed out some investments that I probably should have had a part of and was literally driving by several times a day trying to intercept things that came to the post office box. <laughs> so within, I mean, within 24 hours, I called an attorney. My Both of my daughters moved in to try to help change the locks, lock down all of the financial accounts, and was able to get stable enough that I could think a little bit. He brought over a folder with a letter that he had already typed saying that I will pay these bills. I am responsible for these bills. And they had my name on them and they were addressed to each of the credit card companies. He brought them in a folder that they were addressed. They were typed. They had a stamp on them. Very clearly tried to take advantage of the fact that he had just blown up my life. Tried to get me to agree to meet with just a mediator and signed documents saying it's just 50-50 with everything. You know, it's just 50-50. So things froze for a few days while I could sort of get my life together. I didn't tell him that I had hired an attorney because I just, I wanted sort of the status quo. It, it occurred to me at that point, finally, that there was so many layers of lies and so many years of of manipulation that it gave me a minute to meet with an attorney <laughs> to hire a forensic investigator to meet with a federal investigator to meet with the police to file police reports. And then I just started trying to unravel it.
1: You've got these investigators and you've got federal people and police and all. But is what he did actually illegal?
0: Oh, I'm so glad you asked that question, Bill. The federal investigator noted five Breaches of law. So five things that would be against the law. Four of them are not prosecutable in the state of Idaho, because of the laws that do not value women. So the identity theft and fraud was at a felony level. However, it was not prosecutable because we were married. When I packed up the house which I did within about a week because he, he already had a place to live. All of this was absolutely planned. Mm. He, had, he had obtained a driver's license from another state. He had obtained the right to sell insurance in another state. He had already been talking to people about jobs in another state. I found that later. And within 10 days, he was gone. He'd left, absolutely left the state.
1: Mm-hmm. He wanted to
0: come and, and pack everything. And I said, no you, no, there's no, you will not be stepping back into this house. And so in the process of me packing everything, I discovered additional bits of information. And one of, those, one of those bits was that money was going to a lot of different places that I wasn't aware of. One of them was a, his adult son. Tens of thousands of dollars that ended up being my money was being sent to his adult son who was living in another state. His adult son was not was unfortunately suffering from some mental illness. And so one of the federal crimes were it prosecutable would potentially be that he was taking advantage of a mentally ill adult. Mm -hmm. That, is not something that I am able to prosecute him for. I'm I'm not the adult son's guardian. You know, I don't have a connection um, legally to the adult son. Mm-hmm. So one of the crimes that the federal investigator noted that would be prosecutable, in fact, kind of wasn't, at least from my perspective. That's just beyond the scope of the situation that that I was in. He was held accountable for all of the credit card debt. All of this went to a special jurisdiction, just based on the events that were happening in in the legal proceedings with the divorce, um, ended up being mediated by a judge. He had to pay all of the credit card debt out of his half of the equity of the home. So there was a little bit of retribution in, in that. I had to fight really hard for it. Um, I had to, you know, the burden of proof was on me to demonstrate that this was an exception because again, in the state of Idaho, it's a 50-50 state. You know, men can do what they want to their wives in this state, unfortunately. There's very little we can do. Thankfully, I had I had an attorney whose nickname is The Ball Breaker. She's very good and very compassionate. And I had a, a female attorney. And just kind of based on the behaviors that they exhibited in the situation, they realized, gosh, this is not a 50-50 situation. And so there was a little bit of financial retribution, if you want to call it there.
1: I'd like to hear that. That's great. Sure. Yeah.
0: It was validating, right? Because part of being lied to turns into not being sure of ourselves. We doubt ourselves in our own sanity when someone puts us in a position to doubt what's true in a relationship.
1: You look at yourself and say, how could I buy that stuff for so long and so deeply and so universal? You know, and it's amazing. Considering how you've been brought along for so long, how you managed to mobilize everything very quickly, very smartly.
0: Well, I had a lot of help. Right. I like I I I survived because my, my adult children are, are amazing and my community of friends and my community at, at my work are amazing. And um if I learned anything that lights <clears throat> that lights my path now, that I am blessed and flowered in the grace of the community um, that I exist in with, with my friends and my daughters.
1: They obviously felt you were worth it. They knew you before that day came. Let's be honest.
0: They did. Yeah, they did know me before that day came. That's right. Something we're celebrating, though, in the middle of all of it, you know, in the, in the hardest days, I would say that my biggest tears were tears of gratitude for the people who came alongside me. So oh, That's great. It's important to mention that. Sure. So the last few years have been digging out digging out financially, hustling, hustling a whole lot. I had a a graduate student live with me and be my roommate for a year so that I could afford my mortgage. I hustle. I work a lot of side jobs. I do a lot of professional development and I do a lot of writing for hire and and editing for hire. And I do a lot of things on the side so that I could get into a place where I could afford the home I live in and be debt-free. And that financial security moved in strength parallel to my own confidence in all of the other areas of our life when i was going through my doctorate the term imposter syndrome was thrown around and we talked a lot about imposter syndrome you know knowing our our, our worth in this academic setting yes and having your legs swept in such a big way financially emotionally relationally you know everything that you think that you believe in is not only gone, you're left with no place to stand to sort of build it back up again. Rendering those financial situations a little bit more secure and valid do a lot for a person's building the financial literacy builds like the literacy of our own emotional security.
1: Very well put. You're just a force to be reckoned with, I can tell you. It would be hard to believe that Meeting up with you and doing the things he did, this was the first time he started to pull a lot of stuff. There's usually some other history. Do you know if that's the case?
0: I do know that that's the case, that I'm not yet willing to talk about that because of some innocent people who that might harm. That's fine. I do think it's important to note at some point Uh, Not that this is the way the story ended, but in light of that, I think it's important to note that within a couple of months of the divorce being final, he married a terminally ill woman who was rumored to be financially strong. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
1: He's waiting for her to tick tick all the way down to, to death.
0: She might have already.
1: I'm sure he wanted to get that will straightened out do a little work on the will.
0: That's, you know, that kind of cycle.
1: He just took the act somewhere else. Yeah, you're exactly. right. You were another rung in the ladder, unfortunately. Yeah,
0: yeah that's 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 where karma comes in. So it's, yeah. if you will indulge me, there are some things that I would like to share so that I know that when I see myself in someone else's story, it starts to build this bridge of empathy and understanding and then a friendship. And that's one of the good, works that you do through this podcast is that all of the various stories, you know, you're telling me, you're talking to people in Australia and California. And what it really does is it allows someone to hear a voice that resonates with them. Wait, that's my story. Wait, that's my story. And Mm -hmm. so telling this story, one of the main purposes for me is maybe someone else will see themselves in that story. But I think there are some things that I've learned that I think are important to share too. So if you'll indulge me, I'd love to talk about a couple of them. And, and one of them is is that we are our own responsibility, right? We are our most important responsibility. It was my job to become financially literate. That was my responsibility. And I didn't take that responsibility seriously, partially because it was hard and partially because I didn't think that I had the skills. You know, I have a PhD. <laughs> I have a PhD, but I was not financially literate and I didn't have the courage to become financially literate and admit that there were things that I didn't know. So if I could give advice to anyone, it would be, it's okay to not know, but it's not okay to stay in the not know. We have, yeah. to, be, we have to be brave enough and we have to trust our gut, right? If your gut says, gosh, I don't know, honey, you go ahead and, and take care of it. Um, that's an important thing to trust. Very good point. It's also important to trust the gift of fear there's a brilliant book out called the gift of fear that someone gave me and when we feel something is not right sorry there goes my dog when we feel like something is not right it's not right and i think that we should pay pay close attention to that one of the biggest things for me was that i had to learn that doubting something or someone either in myself or in a relationship was not a bad thing if we're not sure if we're not sure about something
1: it's your way of alerting yourself about something that pay more right. attention.
0: But we don't like to, right? We don't, we don't like to. We go through the world thinking that we're, we're good and we're smart and we're educated and we raise great kids and we have great jobs and something like this could never could never happen to me. I think that level of doubt somehow makes us feel as if we might be immune.
1: Well, I, yeah. I, and I, I think there are things that you you never picture something happening, so it probably won't. Mm-hmm. Yep, and then then someone says, "Let's sit down in the dining room table. I have some things to go over with you." And next thing you know, you're doing a free fall without a parachute. It's rough.
0: Yeah, exactly. I think the last thing is, and this is a combination of therapists talking. It is significant to examine our patterns and our family of origin around relationships if we're in a relationship, right? like we we're not accountable or responsible for the terrible things that people do to us. That's, that's not an us problem. That's a you problem. There's power in knowing our own patterns and looking through patterns in our own life around how we make decisions, how we make decisions about money, what makes us feel vulnerable, what makes us, you know, when we're given flowers, we go, oh, one more bouquet thanks or do we go oh that was really sweet or do we crumble out of kindness right like those things that alert us to our own vulnerabilities are the very things that are going to save us when we mm-hmm. have to save ourselves so if i could give some advice to just people in <laughs> in in relationships in general it just we're only responsible for ourselves and prior to moving into relationships to do the hard work of knowing ourselves so that we will just save ourselves rather than thinking that being in a relationship is going to do it
1: for us. In all cases, we are raised to be selfless people. And so what happens is then things happen to us sometimes because we're not, we're not taking the approach that we have to be okay to help others be okay. Right. You know, and other people might need you for things, but it's not that you get sacrificed in the midst helping other people you have to save yourself first to save others
0: put your own oxygen mask on first
1: yes good (laughs) example that's perfect
0: put it on breathe get you know become become financially literate become aware of your own insecurities become aware of our own achilles heels and then hold them loosely the federal investigator told me he said serena less than one percent of people do this kind of thing to other people. You cannot let this control the rest of your life. It's less than one percent. Do the work. Be careful. But just know, <laughs> most people do want to put on their own oxygen mask and then help other people. You know, we do have to do our own work. Yes, but it's an anomaly <laughs> that things were as bad that were as bad as they they were.
1: It goes to show too, like in your case, the chances of this happening to you are so slim. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't mean not to be on guard or, as you say, become financially literate so you can take care of yourself. I mean, I've asked the other question having to do with uh, domestic violence, actual violence, you know, physical violence that Mm -hmm. happens. We hear one in three women or one in four women will experience serious physical harm from an intimate partner sometime in their lifetime, typically between the ages of 16 and 24. You know, I've rattled that off a few times. The other question that comes to mind, well, how many, in this case, men are doing this? And it's small, single digits. It's not that mm-hmm. many. So in a way, everybody takes a breath and relaxes like, oh, well. But you have to understand that small number of, of guys, typically, mm-hmm. doing it to a large number of women, okay?
0: Yes, and I think that there are small ways that it happens. And because it was successful, it snowballed into into something bigger. Yes. Nothing about it is easy. I think that's one of the things I learned. It's what, what can I do so that I know how to navigate what's not easy? What can I do? What can I do for myself? You can't control them, but I don't know how, how much more I can. I, I think it's drastically important for women in particular to know what their family of origin and what their background means for what they allow for in a relationship. Whether it's, oh, he just put a couple thousand dollars on the credit card. It's no big deal, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? The, the histories that we have and the stories that we have tell women in particular, oh, ease up. It's no big deal. Oh, it's okay. Well, does he take care of you otherwise? Right? There's all of these other reasons why it should be okay. So in some ways, it isn't about the money or the squeeze on the arm. It's about, it's about empowering an entire gender and probably age groups of women to feel as if they can go, hold up hold up. Let me talk to someone who knows more than I do. Let me push pause on this thing that's happening in this relationship. No matter what it is, go, hold up. I got to check in. How am I feeling? How does this make me feel about myself? What do my closest friends say? What does my therapist say? What does my doctor say? What right? And just push pause long enough to be able to know what direction to go next.
1: Once some of that investigation is done, which I think it's a great idea to do, you know, for a lot of people, they probably never thought of it that way. But, you know, it sounds like a pretty good long list of things to do. But but then there comes the area of setting boundaries. So somebody grabs you by the arm to make you go over there or whatever that is. It's like, okay, hold on. That doesn't work for me.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: You you don't manhandle me. You don't do that stuff. I didn't grow up with that stuff. I'm not putting up with that stuff. And then... Now you're paying attention to see if that ever happens again and you slam the door again. And at some point you have to look at it like this thing has no future.
0: And I have to tell you, I would be remiss if I didn't tell you, you know, for, I would say 18 months or so, perhaps before I discovered all of this happening, I started reinvesting in myself as a person again, more than, than I had done for a while, you know, reading and studying and boosting who I was as a person rather than losing myself in a role in a relationship just because that had been something that had happened to me a lot. And the stronger I became, the more I was able to have those boundaries. And and that day at the dinner table, when he said, here's what I did. Here's how we're going to fix it. Here's why you will like this answer that I came up with for us. And I went for a walk. I pushed pause, right? I grabbed the dog. I went for a walk. I came back. I said, that doesn't work for me. That was that first I mean, that was the moment that really saved me. And it wasn't in that moment. It was in the time prior where I was working on my friendships. I was making, you know, I was dealing with some things that had been bothering me from my childhood. I was right. I was investing in me. Mm-hmm. That's what allowed me to set a boundary and go, wait a minute. No, I'm not taking money out of our joint. account. I'm not doing that. It's hard, <laughs> It's hard, hard work.
1: He also wanted to take your dog. Is that right?
0: Oh my gosh. Yeah. He, um, he would come by and, or text me and want when, you know, in the 10 days when I found out and before he left, he wanted to come by and see her, you know, and take her for a walk. Cause he missed her. And I, I would tell him, you know, no, I actually met him at a dog park one day with my daughters with me, let him play with her. Cause I just felt so bad, <laughs> he felt bad. Cause he didn't, you know, it was my dog, but you know, he, I'm sure loved the dog and And then I stopped allowing it and and it was just bullying. He put in the divorce papers that he was going to have 50% of the dog in some sort of, you know, document. I'm like, um, no, thank you. (laughs) But I was, but I was afraid. So I went to my therapist and she registered my dog as an emotional support animal to protect.
1: But that, that's very clever. Yeah. Did he have a close relationship with the dog for real? Or is that just one more way to stick it to you?
0: Oh, you know, he messed up the training. That's the kind of relationship he had with the dog. She minded me and loved him.
1: (laughs) So, when he hit the road at 10 days or so, he blasted off. Is that the last time you actually saw him?
0: Almost. He tried to sue me for slander because as people found out, they canceled their contracts with him. He used a lot of people in the church to sell insurance to. Right. Like as he's moving out of the church and into insurance, you know, that was sure, like his sure. initial fuel for that. Right. And as people found out, they canceled their contracts. He tried to sue me for slander. So that went on for a little while. And then he forced me to engage in a deposition with the mm-hmm. attorneys. And I'm not sure why my attorney thinks it was to try to intimidate me.
1: Now that's you sitting down being grilled by his attorneys.
0: Yeah, but I'm a researcher. So, I mean, I had everything color-coded, tabbed, sticky-noted. The attorney was trying to kind of catch me and me not understanding my own finances or, or you know, saying something that would, I, I'm guessing, let him off the hook. But again, I'm a researcher. I had I had all that stuff coded and color-coded and tabbed. and So it was on Zoom and he was in the Zoom room, but I didn't have to see him partially because my attorney put a sticky note over his face, which was helpful because I didn't yeah. want to be triggered. I wanted to be calm.
1: Right. Good. Very smart. Great idea.
0: I taught middle school. And a lot of the strategies that I use with students in middle school were really pretty helpful in the, in the tricky situations I ended up in.
1: Training on children is probably great experience leading into dealing with people who are no longer children. Probably a good way to go because a lot of it, you know, people just don't lose that. They, they, their voices go deeper, but that's about all. Mm-hmm. Their minds mm-hmm. and their their abilities and their emotions still, you know, need work.
0: Yeah, and I wanted to stay calm, and I wanted to stay in my head. So we put a sticky note over his face in the Zoom, and then when I when I was being deposed by my attorney, he left.
1: Didn't want to hear it. Yeah, didn't match up with the the wonderful person he was trying to project. I'm sure. Right.
0: So yeah, that was that was the end of it. He's in another state. And I refinanced the home, again, through the kindness of some very beautifully networked friends.
1: Could you put a number on your credit rating when it was at its worst? Could you tell us that?
0: Oh, yeah. It went down to, well, you know how there's like TransUnion and Equifax? There's, yes, you know, of course. Kind of both. Yes. One is, was at 525 and one was at 540.
1: That doesn't sound as bad as I thought it would be. But my recollection was maybe 8 Thirty or eight fifty is about as high as it goes. I don't know where they get those numbers. Why well, that wouldn't be a hundred.
0: And and really, the only reason I cared is because I needed to. I needed my home. I, I needed to be able to stay in my home. Because otherwise, I don't care about credit scores. I think they're kind of arbitrary based on our behaviors. But <laughs> I needed to stay in my home.
1: Now, did you find yourself redoing the house, like paint every room, change everything?
0: I did repaint my kitchen white. It was a darker color, and the wall behind me a friend came over with some green paint one day and just said, we're painting the wall. This, it was, this was a shared office and that side had his books. And so we painted that wall, but no, I mean, I didn't have any, I mean, I couldn't get haircuts. I couldn't, I mean, I didn't have any money at all. I, I mean, I had, I had less than no money because the house was purchased based on two people's based on two people's incomes. And I'm still working with the federal student services Working on getting those financial, all the financial aid loans that I did not take out, that is still in process. I was able to have some relief. I was able to not pay my mortgage for a time um, under COVID relief, and then there was that pause on federal student loans for a while. Yes, and then yes, that's right. When we came back into that, then I had to start the whole process of applications, interviews, you know, interviews with the with all of their top people around fraud. Because they don't believe that they just wave it. They believe that they go after the person who was responsible. They're making sure that they have things like the transcription of him in the audio recording of him saying that he, all the things that he did, since I have a recording of that, that was helpful. I appreciate you granting me the freedom to share, sure. share some thoughts about, about things.
1: Thank you so much for coming on When Dating Hurts podcast. And you showed me before we got started. A lot of your notes, I don't know if you hit all of them or not. And you said that you could keep this coming for a very long time, but I think you made your point. And the fact that you were caught so unaware is something that I think is really uh, one of the big messages here for others. You have to keep your eyes open, see if things make sense. And if they don't make sense, then you got some work ahead of you. Do some homework, learn some things, question things that you feel need to be questioned. So thank you for coming on and telling us about this. I know you're still making your way through this jungle financially, but obviously you're doing a great job with it. You've got a nice network of friends and and you've got a lot of karma working in your direction. (laughs) Thank you. That ain't bad.
0: I believe in karma. I believe she takes care of her own. And I believe we get a little special gift if we get to see her work in the world.
1: I'm right there with you. That's great.
0: (laughs) Thank you, Bill. I appreciate it very much.
1: Thank you too. Serena is fortunate to be surrounded by friends and daughters, talented and ready to step up and help her. She is recovering from the abyss her ex-husband put her in. This is a cautionary tale. If you think your partner might be taking financial advantage of you, get with your local domestic violence agency and seek help now. If you think something might be wrong, it just might be. Thank you for listening to the When Dating Hurts podcast. We have been steadily moving up in podcast review rankings based on downloads in the relationships category. That means more and more listeners are getting the kind of advice that can improve lives for victims, survivors, and their families. If you feel we need to hear your story, do not hesitate to email me at BillMitchell at WhenDatingHurts.com. That's Bill
0: Mitchell at WhenDaddyHertz.com.